Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody. It is Monday, a day after LSU has announced that it is parting ways with Ed Ogeron. Two days after, LSU shocked pretty much all of us and beat Florida in Tiger Stadium in a a wild shootout game that had just about everything uh, you could have wanted and uh, we've seen in this series, quite honestly, uh, throughout the the you know entire rivalry. But it wasn't enough to save Ed Ogeron. We all talked about it. We felt like he was going to be most likely let go at the end of the year, and he'll do just that. He's going to get his entire buyout of almost $17 million, and he's going to coach out the rest of the year. Him and Scott Woodward uh, agreed to the settlement and buyout and announced it on Sunday after news broke that they had agreed to it. Negotiations had started after that rough Kentucky loss uh, and were agreed to Sunday, uh, which means the Ed Ogeron era in Baton Rouge, which left uh, LSU really spiraling as of late, but also gave Tiger fans that 2019 national championship team is coming to an end. Joining me now, Shea Dixon. Uh, You were there live in person along with Matty B., the scene at the press conference was uh, kind of interesting, but let's lead off with the decision to move on from Ed Ogeron and the timing. For me, I think this helps the program at least begin to turn the page right away and uh, the coaching search getting a jump on it early. But it was just interesting coming off of a, a third straight win for Ed Ogeron over Florida. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like I said, we'll get to the press conference in a minute in terms of, and we'll get to recruiting stuff in a minute, but you made that comment and Orger, and Scott Woodward, the AD said that the decision to do it now, he felt like would help recruiting. And uh, I was talking to someone on LSU staff earlier today uh, and I mentioned that comment and they said, look, there'll be some decommitments and and we've seen one uh, and they said, you, you know, maybe don't be surprised by that, but that there was, so much building up with every commit almost of, hey, we're hearing everything out there. Art is Coach O going to be there? Art, and that sort of rhetoric starts to dominate your recruitment because that's what other coaches are calling you and saying of, hey, you might want to come visit Bama, Georgia, A&M, whomever is recruiting you, uh, because what if those guys aren't there? You need a backup plan. I mean, we saw it with Walker Howard in Notre Dame. He was, you know, said, hey, look, I've been talking to Notre Dame, just in case something happens with Coach O and I don't know the new staff and I'll get to know them. And uh, I think that in Woodward's eyes, this eliminates that. And everyone has the answer that there will be a new coach. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, when that comes. As for his departure, look, I think it became evident to us that all things considered, look, Scott Woodward didn't hire Ed Orgeron. Joe Oliva did. And this is Scott Woodward, a guy who's from Baton Rouge, a guy who – has been around the block, whether it's Washington, A&M, LA, you know, now back to LSU again at this time as the AD. I think he sees this as the chance to leave his legacy, right? I mean, his legacy as LSU's AD is going to be this higher. It's not going to be uh, largely that he hired Kim Mulkey, a Hall of Famer, to coach the women's basketball team 
uh, you know, that, that was sort of an out of left field hire. Like, wow, he really went big game hunting and pulled that off. Jay Johnson, who's got LSU sitting, I think, number two recruiting class in the country. They didn't lose any guys to transfer. They gained a bunch of Arizona transfers and and guys from other spots. And it seems that hire is going to go well, or at least has gone well off the field. But this one's the big one. And so I don't think after being nine and eight over, you know, since the 2019 season, which is when Scott Woodward got here, being nine and eight in that stretch, being four and three this year, and really they both said it, this kind of happened before the Florida game Thursday night is when it sounds like they got everything finalized. So at that point, you're three and three, you're sitting at 500 once again. And Woodward's on his track record, on his resume, however you want to describe it, Billy, he's got a history of when he gets to a program, he gets his coaches in there once he sees an avenue or a window for that to happen. Saw it at Washington. We saw it at A&M with Kevin Sumlin. And uh, I think now you look at this football job and there was just the feeling that the fan base had already sort of split in terms of apart from the support they had for O in 2019 and, and prior to now. Uh, and that it sort of dwindled for a number of reasons, including and most importantly, on-field performance. It just didn't look like the LSU of old. So Orgeron, it was interesting. And we talked about the press conference, Billy and Matt, who was there with me. It was odd. I didn't I haven't been to one of those before. We're in the middle of the season. The AD and the head coach are sitting there fielding questions about him terminating the deal, but him staying coach and how he's going to handle recruiting and coaching the team. And, and I thought O handled it well. And and certainly Scott made it very clear that uh, he's beginning his new search now. And he wanted the LSU fan base to know that this was the decision and uh, that he still supports O being here the rest of the way. So it was it was awkward, but I thought for as awkward as it was, Billy, and, and people that I've talked to, other media and, and just fans even, were like, I thought, I thought O handled that well, uh, just because it's such a, a tough spot to be in. Yeah, I completely agree with you about Ed Ogeron handling it well. He he really, you know, you could tell he had a moment after that Kentucky game where he felt like things were trending in the wrong direction. He said as much, but you could tell when he was sitting there with Scott Woodward that he knew this was coming at some point that he would have to address this or the the time was coming that his his tenure would end at LSU and he just seemed um kind of at peace with it yeah he was relieved. About, yeah relieved at peace with it you know felt you know someone asked him about you know was there a weight being lifted off his shoulders and he he said no you know that that weight was more so uh, me thinking we were going to win the game against against Florida uh, but still, he looked like uh, somebody that was really uh, just ready for the next chapter that the the future had been decided for him and, and you know, can move on now. And, and it was an awkward press conference in some sense. But, you know, O still joked a little bit, you know, about how he's going to get his money and he's going to be able to buy a hamburger, a double cheeseburger, whatever he wants. And he can, can certainly do that. And he's going to take the 2022 season off as of now to spend some time with his sons. Um, you know, assess what's next, do all of those things. And for LSU, uh, they're going to be on the hunt for a new football coach, obviously, which we'll talk about in a minute. But already we're seeing uh, some players uh, make some decisions, both in recruiting and uh, with the transfer portal. And we'll touch on those right now because that that broke just before Ed Ogeron's Monday regular Ole Miss week press conference. Uh, let's start with Coy Moore. Uh, he hasn't had a reception since the Central Michigan win, his roles kind of diminished as the freshman receivers have taken over. 
but he, he's now set to enter the NCAA transfer portal. He wasn't in there at the time of publishing the article, but we confirmed through some sources that he's going to enter the portal. You know, for LSU's receiver room, it, it was apparent he didn't really have much of a role anymore. You know, they even moved him running back in practices at some, for some, uh, you know, looks potentially in, in the run game, but that was before Ty Davis Price broke out with his huge showing. But it just seems like now uh, he's going to get a jump on his next stop, wherever that is. But for LSU, it also doesn't really help him that he entered now because December 15th is that date where LSU can start stacking up some of those more initial counters with the uh, transfer portal rules. Yeah, so the new transfer portal rules are that you can get count up to seven guys for every guy you lose off the team that enters the portal. Uh, you can replace them up to seven guys, which, you know, that helps your scholarship numbers in a big way. You're not down, you know however many guys that leave and, and you still are stuck at signing 25. So you can still sign 25, but you can also use a transfer to replace a transfer, but only after the first semester comes to an end. Uh, and if that's, a, a, you know, beyond December 15th, then the clock would start on December 15th, which I think that's a signing day. If it's not, it's right around there. And, you know, that three day window where kids can sign in the early period. So you're right that it doesn't help when it's a middle of the season transfer to, to use that counter. You need it to be uh, after the season. And, and look, LSU is going to be in a tough spot here, Billy. And I've said it on the board with, with transfers, <clears throat> excuse me, with recruiting um, because you've got people will describe it as a lame duck coach or a lame duck staff or whatever it is, but it, it's hard for these coaches to sit around and pitch and Orgeron said it, look, I'm going to just keep saying what I've said come to LSU, I think it's a great school, but the fact that they're not there, you know, that these coaches may not be there. We certainly know that Ed Orgeron won't be there. Maybe these off the field coaches that they've grown close to, they're wondering, are they going to be there? And all of this stuff had been looming. So now I know the answer of it's not going to be, oh, and, and we'll see what changes they make on staff. But there's also the, the wait and see game of more so now than ever that <clears throat> with transfers, with this new rule about transfers, with the early signing period, that you need to find a way, if you're Woodward, to get that head coach in place before that December you know, signing period. And you'd prefer it be a few weeks before so you can get him in, the new staff in, bring guys on visits, try to close things out before signing day uh, gets there and, and not only hold your class together but and team together, but really start adding to it with those guys who are planning to announce their commitments kind of right at the end and around that stretch when uh, they get to visit all the schools and see what all the staffs look like. And uh, it'll be a lot of high profile kids, not just in Louisiana, but uh, some of their top targets around the country, Harold Perkins, linebacker out of Texas, guys like that. So I think if you are an LSU fan, you're hoping Woodward can figure this out quickly. And, and as quickly as you can do that was like we've talked about dominoes dropping or, or the only way you're getting uh, progress here. And the first domino was that, Coach O was not retained or terminated and and that the public knew it and the recruits knew it and that domination dropped. But it's going to be a bit before we know who the next coach is, before these recruits know, before the players know. So I think as a fan, you're probably just hoping everybody has some patience, but more so that as soon as this season ends, Woodward can get his hire in. And, and I'll note that the one other time that Woodward fired a coach or terminated a coach midseason out of a out of a big sport like a football was when he was at Washington in 2008. Tyron Willingham, also after seven games, gets terminated. He also publicly had a press conference talking about being terminated. 
And he also, like Ed Orgeron is, finished out the season. Two days later, Billy, they had a press conference with Steve Sarkeesian announcing him as the next coach. Now, at the time, I think Sark was like with the Raiders. So he's not like he's the head coach. So you can leave even if your team's still rolling through a bowl game or the end of the NFL or whatever. And and obviously, a lot of people do believe that whoever else you hires is currently a head coach somewhere. But with with Woodward's track record, I'm in the camp that he's going to have this figured out by the time the season ends. And, and it won't surprise me at all if that coach then just doesn't coach in his team's bowl game or, or whatever situation he's in. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, the track record means something, you know, I, when, you're, when you're trying to put together the pieces. And this is our first, you know, coaching search for a football coach with Scott Woodward. But it's worth noting all those things. And, you know, you mentioned recruiting. We'll quickly note four-star wide receiver Aaron Anderson was the decommitment today. Uh, he's been torn between LSU and Bama for a while. I would imagine that, along with Florida State, uh, Texas A&M even, are, are some of the schools he looks at down the stretch. Uh, and he wants to see who LSU hires. You know, this is a New Orleans area prospect that backed off his commitment to LSU. Took some visits to Alabama uh, over the summer and, you know, has kind of been up in the air as to what he would do. Um, and so now LSU's class is at 14 commitments. Uh, we spoke with Walker Howard. Things they're, they're obviously monitoring, you know, who's going to be hired. But for now, it seems set to uh, stick with his commitment at least. And we'll continue to track all the recruiting news uh, as it unfolds with the uh, departure of Ed Ogeron now official, but let's move on to the to the hiring process. He has a lot of time to work through this. Scott Woodward can now get that true jump on it instead of working the back channels. You know, you never know what the rumor mill will produce. But he also keeps a pretty close lid, uh, you know, tight lid on things, and I think that's important through this process. We've seen LSU publicly in the past go after head coaches under Joe Oliva or. Um, even, you know, with the defensive coordinator and offense coordinator hires, they were pretty public with that Ogeron uh, in place. But now it's just Scott Woodward running this show. He'll have his few close confidants in the search involved. But I think it's a good thing for LSU that they're going to probably move in silence. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a, a hire that's made relatively quickly after the season. It's worth noting that Ed Ogeron said he plans to coach the bowl game if LSU goes to one. Uh, but in terms of candidates and just thoughts on them in general, there's a lot of the expected names that have been floated and rather quickly. Anyone from Jimbo Fitcher to James Franklin, Lane Kiffin, uh, Billy Napier in state. There's a plethora of names that can be looked at for this job because it's one of the premier jobs in college football. And I, I'm not telling you to predict who's going to be the next LSU head coach, but what, what's your take on just some of the early candidates that we've seen floated and uh, where this could go. Uh, odds are, though, that maybe it's not a candidate that's been floated at all. Well, I mean, that's what it was with the baseball search, it seemed. You know, so many people around town in Baton Rouge and fan base were convinced it was Bianca or Godwin. And, and sort of if you go down the list and it ends up being Jay Johnson and, and everybody now is on board of saying, wow, that was a great hire. You know, it, now that you've researched, you know, these fans found out more about him and saw what he does in the recruiting front and see what he does with putting together a roster and a staff. Uh, they all say, whoa, this checks out. Woodward clearly had his homework done. This is a great hire. Um, and then you see with Kim Mulkey, I mean, there's no kind of breakdown needed. She's one of, if not the best women's basketball coach, you know, up there uh, with Pat Summit and people as, as kind of a legend and a Hall of Famer and uh, and is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. She's in a lot of Hall of Fames, but uh, including the uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame where Michael Jordan was the one 
who induct or presented her to be inducted uh, right before she got the LSU job or right after she got the LSU job, I should say. Um, we know <clears throat> that big game hunting, I think, is kind of a thing, a term that will be thrown around with Woodward a lot just because at A&M, he probably got a blank check and they went out and paid a lot of money for uh, Jimbo Fisher. And I think, too, you're going to see I almost break this down like the names that are going to get floated around and, and we'll see if they're what's a smoke screen and what's not uh, whenever the hire is made and how long or how often people were circling that person as the guy. But I break it down into a few categories. It's the Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian, Jimbo Fisher, and uh, we've heard Chris Peterson's name thrown around. Those are guys Woodward's hired before. So they're going to be put into the mix because he's got a relationship with them. I'm not saying I know if they're going to be in the mix or if that'll be the guy for the job, but Jimbo Sark and Peterson, I think, are three that you'll hear mentioned because, like I said, because Scott's worked with them, Scott's hired them before. I think there's the group that are like the hot names, right? And you go through, uh, and I don't even know if like a Matt Campbell's still on that, but he was always been that kind of name the past couple of years. But it seems right now it's guys like James Franklin uh, at Penn State, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, um, guys whose teams are playing really well who are recruiting very well uh, and who have had some sort of real stability of success. I mean, look, <clears throat> excuse me, James Franklin won nine games at Vandy twice. Like what else do you need to know? Like LSU's not winning nine games right now. And he did it at Vandy two times. So you get why these guys' names are up there. And then it just seems there's, and it sort of falls like this a lot and guys are sort of in multiple categories, but there's the Saban tree, which Cristobal, Napier kind of falls into that category. Mel Tucker falls in that category. Uh, guys that have worked with Saban that have been hired by Saban, like Tucker, multiple times. You understand why their names are getting tossed around. Their teams are having success right now. Uh, they're good coaches. They're respected. And there's this line of thought that Scott Woodward and Saban are close and have worked together before. And, and Woodward sort of values what a guy like Saban sees in hiring people. And then I get to the last category. And I don't know if that also means they're last in the list, but it's guys that I think people would view <clears throat> not as like safe hires, but if you're like a really, un, you know, you're an unstable program here at the moment, off the field, Title IX, whatever else, these are guys that I think people view of, they can put together a staff, they can stabilize your program, they can probably do well in recruiting for you, and they may not be the home run hire, they may not have all the experience, but you'd have some faith in them as people that they could get the job done with, you know, the guys they put around them. And that would be guys like Napier at UL, Dave Arand at Baylor, people um, that are held in high regard around the coaching world, even though they're just now uh, really deep into their head coaching tenures. So knowing all those categories, I don't know uh, where Woodward kind of how he begins navigating through it all. If he's already got his name, what it is, but I understand arguments for all of them. And, and I'm kind of going through in my head. Uh, where you start, you know, do you just start swinging for the fences? And and if so, if that's the plan, who do you truly think are the home run candidates? And and I think probably Woodward and the people he's going to ask for money uh, from to make the hire. And then the people that have to sign off on it, the board of supervisors are going to be the people who really know. And I think the rest of us are going to do a lot of speculating. Yeah, that that's very clear and something that, you know, anytime we've talked about this on the board or, uh, you know, radio or this or that, it's it's all speculation. You almost got to preference everything you say with, look, this is speculation. They, they you know, Scott Woodward, like I said earlier, runs a tight ship. Uh, he's going to have a close group of people that he runs all this by. I think money is not going to be an issue. You just paid Ed Ogeron 
17 million or are going to be paying him $17 million go away. And Scott Woodward knows that for his tenure to be viewed in a positive light, he's got to be known for hiring the next LSU coach that wins a national championship and make it four straight coaches that have won national championships at LSU. If he gets that guy. And that's why I think the checkbook's open. Uh, I think they're going to be able to at least approach uh, whoever they want. And if there's interest, they can talk and they can talk big numbers and big money. And at the same time, if they approach somebody like a Billy Napier or somebody who's maybe not making as much money, they could also make it a very worthwhile deal, have a huge assistant pool, which I think they'll have anyway. All those things that we know LSU to do, uh, he'll be able to do that um, with this hire. And, you know, I think when I look at what's important in this hire, Shay, you mentioned stability and, and all of that, that LSU has really not been since the national championship year. And I think that is so important in this hire and having somebody that can come in and provide an elite level of leadership and organization so that LSU is, is capitalizing, I think, on the potential for it to be a top 10 team and a national championship and an SEC contender each year. And that takes a lot at this level. You've got a lot of programs out there that are competing at a high level, obviously Alabama. Texas A&M just beat them. You can argue that Jimbo Fisher has provided a lot of stability and organization there, believe it or not, especially now that he has that skin on the wall. Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Ohio State, Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, all those guys have provided an elite level of organization and leadership, um, whether it's taking them like Lincoln Riley a minute to get an Alex Grinch in there to be his defensive coordinator. I know they're taking their lumps a little bit here and there, but still an elite level coach. And that's what LSU has to find is somebody that can be organized, connects well with players uh, and and capitalizes on all of the positives that this program has. They have new facilities. They have an incredible fan base and, and a stadium to play in, a great recruiting hotbed in Louisiana and then Houston and Dallas and in the South in general. Maybe they expand a little bit more nationally in terms of that elite level of recruiting with the next head coach. Um, Scott Woodward is very involved in recruiting. You know, it's probably one of the things he pays most attention to. And I think the next head coach is going to reflect that especially. So for me, recruiting organization uh, are going to be two key things. And it wouldn't shock me if it was a coach that maybe had an offensive background. Yeah. So that you bring up some good points. I agree with all the stability too. And I was talking to some people who've been around the SEC for a long time and everyone agrees that LSU is, um, you know, you can argue whatever, a top five job in the country. And but it's so often what's pointed to is, yeah, the fan base and, and yes, yeah, certainly the resources that Woodward will put into it. But recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. And LSU is that rare school that sits in a top five per capita talent state for, you know, whether you're saying top 300 prospects or NFL players or whatever it is, it's you know, it's Georgia, it's California, it's Texas, it's Florida, and it's Louisiana. And Louisiana is the only one that just has one school in the state. And if you keep your guys at home, you are going to be, you're going to default into being good. And it's evidenced by, and this is what all these people have been around the SEC forever. And you just mentioned it when you started talking, Billy, about the point of this is no other program out there has won three national championships with three different head coaches in, you know, a two decade span. And, that just speaks to 
if you get in here and you start rolling, you can be quickly back to competing for championships and then, you know, lightning strikes and you win it all. Uh, and they've done it now, really. And it wasn't even happening back to back to back. I mean, these were over a, you know, six, seven year span each time. I think that, well, 03 to 07, obviously 2020, but you get the point. Uh, I think that it just points out that this job can is set up for success in, in a big way. Uh, and if you get a head coach in here and a staff in here and you get them rolling, you're competing, no problem. So no one's going to view this job as being like down and out right now or you don't want it. Um, I think it's going to be uh, you'll have plenty of plenty of options out there. And it's just a matter of what Woodward's looking for. When I think about what this job needs, though, and, I, and I'll choose something other than stability here, and, and it is stability, maybe in a different way than you're talking about it, Billy, but is that, I, and this is sort of maybe my nature, too, is that in situations, how do you minimize the room for failure? And I think that with Orgeron, we saw, and it can be argued, that a demise of it became that the coordinator hires weren't there. And we saw it in the beginning with Matt Canada. Uh, when they just didn't get along and just didn't groove and, and look, Canada's in the NFL and, and he's an OC. So, I mean, he can, he's doing his thing. Right. But the, the Bo Pelini, which, you know, failed very badly, a lot of the assistant coaches, but namely the coordinators. And then you get into this year when they're in must win situations and you just didn't make good hires. And when you have success, you're going to ultimately have your coordinators plucked. Dave Aranda becomes a head coach. Joe Brady, who, you know, is passing game coordinator, but him and Insmere are right there uh, going through things as, as kind of the operators of the 2019 offense. He's going to get a big job and move on to the NFL. So my point is saying that I want this head, I think that this head coach should, I think it helps and I think it minimizes room for failure, needs to be the de facto play caller on one side of the ball. And I say that because whether you're having success or whether you're just going through normal years, you aren't going to have to replace two coordinators. You just have to replace one. So if you're an offensive guru and you're calling the plays, all you're having to do is worry about, okay, do I have the defensive coordinator in place? And again, like I said, if you're playing poorly and you've got to fire your coordinators, you're only firing one of them. And then you don't have to go out and then really find a way to make the perfect hire twice in one season. You've only got to do it once and then you're back rolling again. And the, and I know Saban's viewed as sort of the de facto defensive coordinator anyways, but people will say, well, you know, like Alabama's able to do it. They replace their coordinators uh, every other year and, and, you know, they just keep rolling. That Saban's also a mastermind and one of the best ever. That just doesn't happen everywhere else. So I think a real thing for stability would be the head coach having expertise, not just expertise, but being involved in the play calling on one side of the ball and being good at it, not being viewed as some, you know, he's meddling in the playbook that he's known for being that coach on that side of the ball is a good thing. It's something they didn't have with the past, you know, with Les Miles and Ed Orgeron. And I just think we're seeing a lot of teams out there find success through that formula. And, and I think there's some candidates out there who fit the bill for it. Yeah, I mean, that that is a great point, and I think it's important. I, I, I really do. And, you know, you mentioned it for the coordinator reasons. I think, too, for the for the, uh, for the the coordinator reasons and just not having to, you know, feel that pressure of replacing both sides of the ball, but also it allows the players to mesh with the scheme a little bit more, right? It's, you look at – and, you know, we talk a lot about Alabama, but Alabama doesn't really change their offensive scheme. They change their play caller. Uh, they they don't really change their defensive scheme. They they tweak it. 
they change change you know how it looks you know it used to be a pure three four now it's a little bit of everything it's geared towards the new age of college football but the the lingo and all that all those things in Tuscaloosa don't really change uh which is impressive in a way you know they just plug and play uh their coordinators and you know I think that's a really important thing when you have the turnover that you'd want when you're a really good program you know you want coaches being hired and moving on to head coaching jobs or, um, you know, well thought of assistants coming up and being groomed and then getting their shot as an OC or a DC, you know, those things you want to happen. And, you know, Ed Ogeron and his hires just haven't panned out that way. A lot of the times, I mean, you know, James Craig, where is he going to, where's he going to end up coaching? You know, uh, some of these other hires as they find new roles, where are they, where are they going? They're not necessarily in some cases going to go up. Um, and, and I think you want somebody that's going to groom young talent. You want them to be uh, the on that list of, you know, the young and up and coming, the under 30 list, you know, all those things. This program needs a, a, a jolt of energy, believe it or not, even with as energetic as Ed Ogeron can be. It needs that positive energy uh, and just almost in a way, a sense of coolness to it again. You know, it was definitely cool in 2019, you know, Joe Brady was wearing his, Air Force Ones and they're calling, you know, every play worked. You had great players, but it was that swag on that team. As soon as that season was over, it was gone. I mean, it walked out the door and it, it it was probably one of the biggest issues over the last two years. And I don't know if it was, you know, pressure on players or just not, obviously not as talented uh, a group of players on the roster. Tough to beat that 2019 team in general, but they, they, they need to be comfortable again being LSU and what LSU was, you know, DBU and sending guys to the league. And um, it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years to see the guys that'll go to the league. Obviously you've got your Derek Stingley's your hopefully Eli Ricks, if he could stay healthy, Keyshawn Butte's and guys like that, that'll go. But outside of that, now the cupboard is kind of bare. And I think recruiting is going to play a key role in this hire, like I said, but also evaluations. You know, that's why that's a big part of why LSU is where it's at right now. And whether it was, quite honestly, maybe some stargazing to fill out some of the spots in the classes over the past few years or what have you, they've not evaluated well and they and they're they're paying for it. Quite honestly, they're paying for it in uh, on the offensive line. That next coach is going to have to be an absolute stud recruiting on the offensive line to get this program back to where it, it should be. Um, because it's not going to just be fixed with a guy like Will Campbell or Emory Jones landing in in Baton Rouge and playing it, out their college careers. They're, they're going to have to really retool that. The transfer portal is going to be important. Um, and I think that's those are all things that are going to be valued when uh, Scott Woodward uh, looks at this job. We've got an interesting month and a half on our hands, Billy. That's why hopefully, Matthew's been hiding this just, whole podcast. Matthew's been not even poked his head in yet. Hopefully just a month and a half. And we can bring in Maddie B right now, though, because we're going to chop it up about Florida. There was a lot of positives about the offensive line that day uh, in Baton Rouge's Ty Davis Price sets an LSU single game rushing record, breaks Leonard Fournette's record. We talked about it going into the game. Florida has this great defensive front uh, that gets pressure on the quarterback. But the run game just took off. And it it was uh, I was actually watching it with uh, uh my girlfriend's brother-in-law, who is a Florida grad, and it was just demoralizing, uh, not only probably for that Gators defense, but 
for him as well, for those LSU fans listening out there. <laughs> what, a, what an awkward watch. <laughs> oh, I'm working, and he's just cringing at every play called uh, by Jake Peets pretty much as Ty Davis Price rolled off eight yards, 20 yards. His touchdown I mean, it was uh, He was a broken man by the end. I'm, I mean, it wasn't even like Jake Peets went like deep into the bag either. It was like, you know, the, the same counterplay the entire third quarter or fourth quarter that just gashed Florida time after time. It was like – Florida was just completely caught off guard. Um, I think they went into the game kind of like Kentucky did, just like, you know, what are you going to do? Run the ball on us all game? Like, is that what you're going to do? That That's going to beat us? And uh, LSU did it, and they actually succeeded in it, and they stayed with it. And that's really all, you know, we've kind of been asking for at this point is to stick with it and give it a chance. And um, albeit the offensive line got better as the game progressed, and – uh, I just I was so impressed by their committed their their ability to, to commit to the run game and the offensive line's improvement really and shout out Ty Davis Price too. I even I even went and got uh, you'll see this if you're watching on YouTube. I loved this. Shout out to the Advocate, our friends over there. I loved this this front page of the newspaper. Ooh, Good job, the priceless. There you go. That's yeah, a great front page. There. Yeah. Hey, they just kept mashing at him, you know, using Jack Mashburn in there. Am I allowed to make that pun? He was a key in that as well. LSU just retooled, retooled really their approach to the run game, and it paid off in a big way, Shay. Yeah. Shout out Ty Davis Price, the guy that, like we said Sunday on the pod, Matt, that everybody screamed to be benched, and now he owns the single-game rushing record. And, shout, and the O-line shout out. And shout out to Jake Peets, who – um, look, he ran the ball all day and you get down to fourth and goal. And he says, coach, Joe, you want to keep running? And he said, you make the call, man. And he goes, play action. Max makes, makes a great move to kind of spin around and finds Dre Jenkins just wide open his third touchdown. You win the game. Um, you get the pick on defense next series, but you go, you pull ahead and it becomes the game winner. Uh, but this gap scheme, um, sort of, you know, zone running where just a lot of pulling guards, I think it's worked for Ty Davis. I think it's worked for the O-line. And then we start to see guys like Ed Ingram pick up some confidence and realize again, like, dude, I've played a lot of really good football here. Like there were times everyone agreed going in the season, Ed Ingram was the best O-lineman they had. And there were times he was getting pushed on his butt, you know, in, in games where you're like, what is going on here? Like these guys forgot to even how to play O-line. Then you look at the Florida film and Ed Ingram's pulling and just knocking guys heads off. So I think that the new play calls and the new run schemes sort of fit the O-line and Ty Davis price really well. And I think that you got to stick with it because the past couple of weeks, you haven't had Max be perfect in the passing game, but you've been able to pull off those plays, uh, you know, where, when you've needed them in big moments or move the chains when you needed to, and you'll mix in some bad throws or some poor, you know, pass pro here and there. But when you've got that run game going, then you're able to open up some of those plays that, uh, that give you just those those handful of game of whether it's explosive or just moving the chains in the passing game and <clears throat> has sort of completely we've now flipped the idea of what LSU needs to do on offense and now we're saying they should probably just run it the whole time and then just pass it when they have to uh, with Kayshawn Butte now down that uh, that actually might be the best option but we'll see uh, and look I know y'all are going to talk all about Ole Miss on Thursday's pod but ISO today when you play Ole Miss and they just literally want to snap it immediately on every play and score every possession and just never stop. Do you play keep away or do you have to just go score for score? 
Uh, and he said, look, it's going to be situational, but there is going to come a time and probably early where LSU is going to want to, want to run the football. They're going to want to try to hold on to it, not let Ole Miss just jump out to a big lead and, and keep your defense off the field as much as you can. Because uh, as he said, rotating those guys early and often is key because there'll be a come the fourth quarter, Ole Miss is going fast and your guys have been out there the whole game. Uh, how do you avoid that? Uh, I'm interested to see what their approach is on, on offense going into this one. Yeah, and, and Marlon Martinez, shout out to him. Chase on Hines questionable for this week's game against Ole Miss, but he stepped in and looked really good, I thought, uh, for LSU on the offensive line. So doing it without some key guys. Anthony Bradford also got hurt. Uh, Coach O choked that uh, it took quite a few guys to get him off the turf with, with how big he is. You know, poor Anthony Bradford getting that pun, but or that joke thrown his way, but it's just reality. They They just stepped up. This was a product of, you know, maybe Brad Davis's offensive line coaching taking a little bit of hold. You know, it took a, took a minute, um, but they have that impressive day. Uh, and then it was also a debut for Sage Ryan, former five-star defensive back, gets in on a pass breakup on his first play, um, you know, thrown his way. So uh, LSU, maybe a little bit of confidence built. The defense forced turnovers. Uh, I think they had gone three straight games without a turnover or maybe one turnover in three games forced. Uh, and they come in and and the biggest plays of the game were were first forced turnovers and obviously the picks pick six by Dwight McLaughlin. Yeah. Well that was the Mississippi State game. Since the Mississippi State game, yeah, the last last couple. Um the last thing I mean I think I'll say uh like you said, we'll do the full in-depth podcast on Thursday, and I still have to watch a lot of Ole Miss over the next couple of days. But you know, it's gonna Max Johnson's gonna have to play better uh than what he than what he did a lot of the the last game he relied on the run game uh first half he was very inconsistent i thought um so i'm interested to see how max johnson bounces back um i am worried as far as just big picture goes and this probably i'll let you two talk about this but i'm worried because ellis Ole miss is a good team like regardless of the coaching situation like if you if if ogeron was like solidified head coach or they had a solidified head coach there no matter how you look at this, Ole Miss would go into the game being a double-digit favorite at this point. Like, it, the coaching doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, turmoil doesn't matter at this point. I'm worried that Ole Miss wins this game by two touchdowns and LSU looks kind of flat and people are going to come out of it being like, oh, we tell you, oh, why is O still here? You know, why is he still the coach? I'm worried about that aspect a little bit moving forward because I think people are going to just make a big deal out of something I really don't think is a big deal at this point. If anything, I think it's going to help them moving forward this season, having O the decision made. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I heard BJ O'Jolari say it on Jordy Collada's show and I'll paraphrase it on Sunday night. And he asked him briefly about, you know, the, the decision and no not being there and then or permanently, you know, remaining for the season. And he said, look, for us, it's just about going out and playing ball. And he said, Florida game, he said, for whatever reason, and it wasn't one of those things where he was like, Oh, we already knew he wasn't going to be the coach. So we were all, you know, it was off our minds, but he just said we finally just went out there and just had fun with it. We played free. It almost felt like we had nothing to lose type thing. And when we played that way, all of a sudden our sort of the talent showed through and, and the coaching was able to really start clicking. So I think, like Matthew said, I, I, it, it isn't as big of a deal as people might think it is. And I think how it can help is that the guys feel like almost like, oh, look, like there's a little pressure off. There's not. Every week, everyone being like, man, is Okocho good enough for the job? Are they going to be, um, you know, terrible forever? Are they just going to get run out of the building every time? I think now they kind of have a sense of, 
all right, everybody knows what's going on now. They're all on the same page. Let's move forward and have some fun here the rest of the season. And uh, and if they play that way, they'll need to play loose versus Ole Miss because, like Maddie B said, they're a, they're a really good team and they can put up a lot of points on you. Um, but uh, we saw last year, I did not expect Max Johnson and Keishon Butte to be out there setting records and going, you know, whatever 40-40 shootout that was. So, and I didn't expect them to beat Florida. So I don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. They probably will go out there and win this weekend. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we're not going to play the whole uh, predict season again uh, after this, but uh, we're so bad at it. So bad at <laughs> hey, it. Only one it. of us here is already wrong. So yeah, I think we, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong for sure. Uh, I think I did say Florida would have been the game that I would have picked, but uh, you might have to roll the tape back on that, Matty B, for us. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm wrong. Shocking. Uh, what is wrong for Ole Miss right now is uh, Matt Corral questionable. At Ogeron said it might be a little bit of a smoke. That's rat from poison. The, yeah, rat poison. His buddy Lane Kiffin saying that Matt Corral is banged up, uh, questionable for this weekend. And look, that's a uh, that's a big deal. Um, he is uh, just on a tear for the most part this season, save the Alabama game. Uh, I remember it was funny. I was talking about this the other day with somebody. Matt Crowell was there at the opening in in Oregon, Shay, uh, when we were there watching Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, and Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase and all those guys um, as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And there was a lot of talk about him that week. Um, and he ends up at, at Ole Miss and uh, he's he's playing like an elite quarterback right now. That that's for sure. And do we think LSU needs to uh, keep pace? Uh, or play keep away this weekend. Matty B, we'll let, we'll let you go after uh, you answer this question first. They, there's no way they win the game scoring less than like 38 points, I don't think, 40, 42 points. Like I, I don't see a way in which they hold Ole Miss to like 35 points. That's that's tough. That's tough. I, and, and the defense played what better, right? <clears throat> but like we're still going to be talking about a team with, you know, Cordell Fly on the outside, you know, not your starting corners on the outside, Sage Ryan at nickel, safety position still without major burns even though I thought they played better um, with Cam Lewis, um, you know, defensive line kind of hurt. So I, I still, I, I like what I saw against Florida, but Florida still scored 42 points and they had four interceptions. Like this is, it's not a perfect defense here. So I, I think the offense has to put up at least 42. Well, and I think too, when you look at, and I'll let y'all dive into the film on Thursday, but when you just look at the numbers too, I think people think of Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin or, or Jeff Levy as, you know, they're just going to throw it every play and they're trying to score on every play. They have more rushing yards than they do passing yards this year. And as you noted about Matt Corral being, as Kiffin said, doesn't know if he'll play this weekend. The reason being, he carried the ball as many times as Ty Davis Price did this past weekend. I mean, he ran it 30 something times. So a team that wants to run the ball too, I think the return of Glenn Logan, me and Matty B were talking about that the return of Glenn Logan in the middle playing alongside Neil Farrell, allows you to move Mason Smith to the edge some. Sony Fanua played well. B.J. Ojolari played great. You've got Jaquelin Roy in there. He can bring off the bench. Damone Clark's playing well right now. You're stopping the run better. Than, like Tank Bigsby didn't run all over them. Um, and Kentucky did, and so did UCLA. But uh, certainly uh, a really talented back in tank uh, didn't run all, all over them. And then Florida didn't run all over them. And Florida wants to run the football. It's why they were having to throw it downfield with terrible passes all day and get picked off four times. If they can slow down the run a bit, I don't know. We're going to put Matty B's uh, 35 points there to the test because I don't know. I think that they maybe could get Ole Miss a little flustered. If Ole Miss isn't able to run the football like they want to, I think that that could – 
fluster them a bit to where LSU is able to hang around without having to rely on, you know, short fields every other drive because the quarterback threw an interception. But look, I think one game Corral did last year through like seven picks in one game. So it's possible. It's possible, Matty B. Yeah, I look, I mean, one way to keep keep the ball away from them is to just not play the game like they did at Tennessee. I mean, the ending of that one was wild. Do we think, chill. Do we think the extra hour that they spent on the field in Knoxville might weigh on these players a little bit? That's, that's some extra sleep that they didn't get. You that's know, right. You'll take anything you can get, Billy. Yeah, you know, it's in Oxford, so I don't expect Lane Kiffin to be catching golf balls uh, after or during uh, that game this weekend. But um, who knows? Ed Ogeron might want to wear a helmet uh, down there. But, um, look, it, it's, it's going to be a game that has a chance to be wild. Confidence renewed and LSU a little bit to at least play to a high level when they go on the road this weekend at Oxford. It's pretty crazy uh, that Ed Ogeron is going to face Jimbo Fisher in his last game and face Lane Kiffin in his first game uh, since the news broke that he is uh, not returning it. And I think we're at least in for a fun one uh, this weekend at 2.30. Prime or not primetime, CBS Main game, game number one. Everyone laughed at that a week ago when they said, what are they doing putting LSU at 2.30 with Ole Miss? Everyone's tuned in to see Coach O versus Lane this weekend. So that'll be exciting at least. Yeah, maybe maybe the 2.30 uh, scheduled kickoff was uh, all by design. They knew something was going down. Uh, they just didn't want to say anything, but they set it by uh, picking this game for the 2.30 game. So uh, we'll let – Sonny and Maddie B break it all down on Thursday for you guys. We're going to wrap up this edition though of the Go 24-7 podcast. LSU parting ways with Ed Ogeron off of the win over Florida, his third straight over the Gators. And now they look ahead to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. We'll have all your coverage on Go 24-7 with the hot board. Check that out. We've got a promo running to uh, subscribe to Go 24-7 right now. And as always, leave us a follow, leave us a rating, and leave us a review on the Go 24-7 podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Let us know how we did, guys. Uh, Quite the podcast we had to record on this Monday, but hope you guys enjoyed it and have a good week uh, speculating on LSU's next coach and uh, getting ready for Tigers versus the Rebels. We'll catch you next time on the next Go 24-7 podcast.